Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. My very first explorations into kink and BDSM were virtual. That is, I read everything I could get my hands on, on the internet. Now, keep in mind, this was the mid-90s. I started consciously exploring my curiosity about submission, kink, and BDSM around 1993 in the wake of a transformational whirlwind romance that started in the winter of 1992, I believe. And that's a separate story for a separate podcast when I figure out if I'm willing to risk a cease and desist order from the other person involved. (laughs) And of course I am. You know I am. You know I don't give a fuck about that motherfucker. Bring it on. Maybe you should have thought about this before you named a song after me. Anyway, I digress. So (laughs) when I started exploring kink and BDSM online, the main way that these ideas were being transmitted was through chat rooms. And there were dozens and dozens of them. I, at the time, was hanging out with some rocket scientists and so had gotten in on the slowly budding internet as it was creeping out from the secret pockets and drawers of nerds and scientists. Because, of course, that's who it was invented for, right? And, of course, these nerds and scientists immediately started using this new technology to talk about sex and kinky stuff and freakiness. And so I found some online chat rooms. And what was interesting about this new art form, as I like to think of it, is that, of course, you're going to have personalities that rise to the top immediately. There's so many things that just replicate so quickly once you have a new technology. You've got the cool kids, you've got the nerds, you've got the outcasts, you've got the rogues and the criminals and the abusers, right? Everyone is there fairly quickly. And as I was observing and as I was starting to learn, I saw so many people who were coming in and elevating themselves as experts on BDSM and experts on kink and experts on relationships, MS relationships being master slash slave relationships or DS relationships, dominance and submissive relationships. And one of the concepts that I gathered early on was the idea of collaring and how one becomes collared. Now, a collar is going to mean many things to many different people. So obviously, I'm going to share with you my meaning and some other observations I have made how other people use collars. To me, a collar is very much a public symbol of an interpersonal relationship, like a wedding ring, right? Or like someone wearing a religious emblem, someone wearing a Star of David or a Crescent Moon or 
you know, an ancient uh, torture device right around their neck, they are indicating that they have an affiliation. And that's what that's for. And so for me, a caller is signaling that I have an affiliation with power exchange relationships and that I'm involved in one currently. Now, some people use them to represent ownership only. And that's what they mean, period. And some people who have a very rigid idea of what this means would say that a caller is something that a master or owner uses to demonstrate their ownership. It belongs to them and only they are able to grant or withdraw it. So people live by many different uh, sort of guidelines around this. And one of the guidelines that I saw commonly discussed was the idea of having to earn a caller. What does that mean? Well, that means that you have to show and demonstrate to the master or dominant who is, you know, thinking about owning you that you are worthy of ownership. You have to demonstrate loyalty and skill set and whatever it is. A lot of people have their own sort of approach to what earning a collar means. And so I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. Being a type A fucking, you know, recovering gifted kid. Of course, I'm like, oh, I got a, there's a task you can give me to do. Let me overcome it majestically, of course. Right. And so I'm reading all these amazing pornographic tomes that people are putting up on online, because of course, the second thing that the internet was used for was for porn, science, porn, you know, that's how that goes. And these tales were very fanciful and very beautiful and very much playing into the ancient element of, you know, someone who's young or new, or even if you're not biologically young, you have a certain youthful newness to you when you are coming into a new situation, right? So the newbie has that fresh energy, even if they're, you know, 75 years old, right? It's about the energy you bring into it. And so you've got all these folks who are bringing in all this amazing energy and you're like, yeah, this is super great. What I started having trouble with fairly quickly was, okay, so we're earning this collar and I'm doing all this work to prove to you that I'm worthy of it. But what are you, what are they doing to prove that they're worthy of you dedicating your most precious resources to another person? Because that's what's going on here, right? I mean... Okay, so so my first relationship was purely online at first because the idea was that we would chat with each other for a, a few months and then if that worked out, make arrangements to meet in person. And this person, what was his name? His name was Rodney, I believe, yes. And he was uh, someone who was Native American and so I was like, oh, good, so not some like white oppressor guy. This is fantastic. And we talked on online, we did chat rooms and then moved to on the phone and moved to, you know, making plans to meet. And as we kept making plans to meet, the plans kept getting pushed back. And I was frustrated because this was impeding my ability to earn this collar. So I'm like, ah, the more you delay, the more, the further away from this thing that I want, this relationship that's represented by this collar, it's, it's a fucking thing. No one will be surprised to learn that, of course, the reasons for the delay were that he was, in fact, married. And I had that bad feeling once he went from talking about me coming to visit him to talking about me coming to visiting him when his roommate was out of town. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because you never mentioned a roommate at all to me. 
even casually, which is a thing that fucking comes up in conversation when you're talking about mundane life shit. Like I'd spoken to him about my roommates and my cats and he'd spoken to me about his dog. And, you know, I, so I was like, how did the roommate not anyway? Then I was like, oh, red flag. But you know what? I'm going to consider this a learning experience and just keep going and seeing what happens. And of course, the inevitable happened. And, you know, I was like, I'm out of here. And then I was pissed off because I was like, look, I was so close to getting that collar. And man. by that time, I was involved real time, real life in the kink community. I started going to munches. And what a munch is, it's a non-sexualized, neutral public event that kinky folks who are curious about BDSM can go to or folks who are already involved in the scene use munches as really good ways to communicate and meet people and do some cruising, you know, see if you can pick someone else up for some fun times or meet a potential partner. So I was going to these munches and I'm seeing all these other subs with their collars and I'm getting that collar envy because I'm like, you know, I want a relationship too. I want to be active, submissive. I want to run around with a collar and a leash on and be so cute and do the thing. There's that desire for belonging. But what's interesting is that by making a collar something that you have to earn, you've commodified it. You've made it something that, that, that can be bought and sold essentially and traded, right? It's now a commodity. And I'm just not sure that's what folks intend. And if it is what folks intend, what are you doing with your relationships, right? I wasn't sure I liked the idea of seeing myself focusing on this goal of earning something. It's very American. It's very consumerist. It's very corporate almost, right? You know, I'm applying for this job and I need to prove to you that I'm worthy of it. And here's the thing. When that goes both ways, it is fine. If the submissive is saying, okay, you know what? I'm earning the collar. You're earning the leash right? I can have this collar on, that's fine. But the leash that connects you to the person in the collar must be earned. And so when I see people talking about earning collars, great. What is the dominant or the master or owner doing to demonstrate that they are worthy of your submission? Because this is what it boils down to. Submission and dominance, all of these things take time. They take time and they take space. And the reality is no one can give you back the moments, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, perhaps years that you spend earning this collar. And then you get it and now what? Now you start your life? Like what what the hell is going on? I want shit to just pop off and be committed and be wonderful and and have both folks in it together from jump, whatever, whatever that means for you. But the reality is if you're going to be earning a collar, I'll tell you. So, okay. So my first, the first dominant I engaged with had this collar earning thing, right? He had what some people would refer to as a collar of consideration. So after being with him for a year and in service for a year, you could get a consideration collar, which means that you are part of this person's life. I'm demonstrating you're part of my life, but I haven't decided yet fully if you're going to, you know, be my actual real slave. So it's like dating. It's like going steady. 
<laughs> for those who happen to remember happy days or who happen to be of the slightly older than me generation when people would go steady and give each other class rings and shit like that. That was phasing out by the time the 80s rolled around. So that wasn't quite a thing. My first boyfriend was very old school. So I did get a ring, high school ring that I wore on a chain around my neck. Wasn't that adorable? Until he found out that the chain was actually eroding the, <laughs> the ring. <laughs> then it was less cute. And I was like, oh, well, you want me to wear it? This is what you get. Anyway, my first dominant had this whole consideration thing. And then after a year, you were eligible. Not that you were going to automatically get it, but you were eligible to step into a permanent collar. And I will never forget sitting at this lovely cafe in, in Oakland, California, and having this conversation, it was a beautiful afternoon and there were these little red flowers that grow everywhere in California on a vine above us in the afternoon sunlight. And I'm sitting there having my frosty mug of beer and my potential dominant is across from me looking very handsome and talking very seriously about what I will do to earn this collar. And I nodded and took notes as I should. And then I paused and I said, thank you, sir. This is very helpful. Can you tell me, please, though, what do you do? What's your part in this as we are embarking on this journey? How do you also go about earning my submission? And I got, I wish I could fucking <laughs> describe accurately the whirlwind of emotions across his face. Cause of course, first, cause I, I happened to know, I found out later, of course, nobody prior to me, and there had been a few had questioned this or, or made this ask of him. But of course, because he was an ethical guy, right? You know, he wasn't trying to be an asshole, but it was clear he had not had anyone ask what his work in this relationship would be. But then you could also see him realizing, well, that is really an excellent question and a very good point. Damn it. God damn it. Damn this bitch. And so he took a breath and said, well, we are engaged in this relationship together. Therefore, I was like, okay, so. And so we kind of figured out what that meant, right? What the prime directive with me in this instance. And we'll put a link to an episode in which I discuss the prime directive. I think it's the first episode actually. So I, maybe I don't have to put a link, just go fucking look for it, figure it out. It's the first episode. <laughs> so it was fascinating to watch him kind of struggle a bit, but then step into it. He did lean into it. And thereafter, I think, understood that it was not just about what he did standing on this uh, hillside, gazing out to the sea as slaves crawl at his feet, you know, doing his bidding, which is lovely, right? But the thing is, and I can't say this a sufficient number of times, these relationships are called power exchange relationships for a fucking reason. It is an exchange. It is not me crawling on my belly to prove myself to you over, over and over and over again. All that being said, a time of consideration, a time of thought, a time of reflection, a time of conscious, as you approach a relationship, as you approach one another, is amazing and wonderful. I think consideration is fantastic. I don't think it's intrinsically problematic. What I do find problematic is when I see talk, people talking about being considered without mentioning that they are also considering the other person, because probably 
probably this means it's a one-way consideration. And I am not comfortable with that. I do not believe that it leads to a relationship where emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual health is prioritized equally for all parties in the relationship. And the reality is that must be the case. A power exchange dynamic cannot mean that the mental health, for example, of the slave is secondary to the mental health of the dominant because that becomes abuse, right? This is the thing between consensual BDSM and consensual power exchange relationships and consensual master-slave relationships is that you really need to make sure and ride this fence consistently that you are not starting to veer into the realm of the shit that's non-consensual, right? So when you do things like remove love from a power exchange dynamic, it is my belief that you are now lurching one step closer to the chattel slavery model because you don't have to have that emotional attachment that particular type of emotional attachment, let me just say. Love is not a bulletproof insurance policy against abuse, but I do believe that love can, in a power exchange relationship, create a nice buffer, a nice sort of oil layer, if you will, for lubricating the friction that will inevitably occur in all fucking relationships. If you know you love your owner, when they start to make you a little bit crazy, you can take a deep breath and go, God, you know what? But I love this motherfucker. Let me figure this shit out. Versus here I am serving someone who doesn't love me. Why? And those little seeds of doubt, those little chia seeds of doubt can be sprinkled till you got a head full of fucking anxiety, right? (laughs) Did I just make a chia head analogy? I did. I did. You know why? I'm a woman of a certain age. Cha-cha-cha-chia, pets. <laughs> so kids, here's the thing. I think it's absolutely great to have those goals. And I think it's really wonderful to discuss amazing energies that can be generated when someone has an emotional goal to strive towards. So do it. And plus, make sure that everyone involved is striving. Make sure that collar is something that has to be earned from both sides. I had such an attachment to the collar as a concept. And I'll never forget being at a kink event and seeing this collar that was amazing. It looked like, oh God, it was so, it was so thick and so heavy and so chonky. And I was just like, this is so dope. And it looks watch band, in fact, like one of those old school Timex watch bands, but big enough to go around my neck. And I just impulsively bought it. And then I thought to myself, oh, what sacrilege have I committed? A slave buying a color, man. But then I realized that it was okay for me to have my own talisman. It was okay for me to say, you know what? Maybe no one else will ever see this, but this is my collar. So when I get lonely or I get sad or I just want to meditate and focus on, on my own goals, I can sit and have this object. I like things. I'm a maximalist when it comes to stuff. And so I bought it and to this day, I still have it, right? I never knew what I would do with it. I just thought, here's an object I have. Prior to my relationship with the Spousemeister, which is going, uh, just hit the eight year mark, amazing. I was involved with another dominant who also was looking towards a path of ownership. And 
he had a, a similar sort of like, you know, getting to know you period. So we had the first year together before we could even start talking about collars and what that would look like. And I was like, great, this is fantastic because it was a mutual getting to know you thing, right? He was not necessarily the ideal candidate for me because of his relationship status and the fact that he lived in a different place than I did. And so I was like, so that consideration period of the first year, we've been talking about what a collar would mean, or if this was something we could do and what that would look like was great because we were both involved in that getting to know you period. After the first year, decided to make that gesture myself. And so I offered my collar to him. And it was a really lovely ritual moment where I said, you know, I am prepared to make this offer to you for us to talk about uh, a master-slave relationship. So here is my collar for you to think about what that would mean for you. And he accepted it, a little teary-eyed. It was very beautiful. And, and so this was so cool, right? Like, here's this thing that I had bought for myself that I didn't even know what I was going to do with. And then it presented itself with its own job, which was to sort of be like a little a token of my endearment, right? Like a hanky that a maiden drops in the woods so that the night can go with some, some shit like that. Whatever the fuck. Who the fuck knows? Anyway, my point is this. It was awesome. Until nothing happened, right? So what was secondarily accidentally wonderful about me having this collar to present to a potential dominant is that when nothing happened, I had a conversational point. Now, here's the thing. I am an excellent communicator. However, I am also a terrified communicator. I have frequently had, as humans have, bad reactions to things I have to say. I've told my truth and bad shit has gone down. And so part of me has this ongoing sort of fear that at any point, if I say something that's dangerous, right? It could piss someone off. It could wind up with me being alone or sad or feeling alienated or feeling like my emotions were too much and too big and too exaggerated. And yeah, so I have this fear. I do. But what was great was that I had an automatic in. So rather than asking after, you know, a month, two, three, five, six months, hey, you know, we haven't made any movement towards even discussing our, the growth of our master-slave relationships or what's happening? Can we have that talk? It was easier with that anchor point there. And then as our relationship sort of, it just became, it stalled. The growth stopped. The aspects of our relationship that needed work the work was not being done. And so unfortunately, for, but slash fortunately, I had to prime directive and put the brakes on and say, hey, sir, we need to have a talk. Here's where I see issues. Here's where I see where the stuff that we needed to work on to make this relationship okay for both of us is not happening. And his response of, yes, you're right, it's not happening. And then the response that broke my heart, which was, and it's not going to happen. And so then I just had to wait to get that collar back, which was for me a sort of a, a moment of closure, right? <laughs> Hilariously, side note, it took me a while to fucking get that collar back because apparently someone was not as ready to get that closure. And I was, which was fascinating. And even his foot dragging on that, whatever the reason, was interesting. It gave me the opportunity rather than just sitting there sad and and mad and hurt that he wouldn't step up to the plate to go. He's probably having some feelings that he's having difficulty processing as well. So that letting go 
is probably also difficult for him. Now, here's the thing. I, I know that it is. I know that it can be, but I have self-esteem issues. So a lot of what I assume when I am done with a relationship and I, I feel like I'm tossed away and that the person moves on, usually it's because they have. It's because they have moved on very quickly. Part of the reason for that is if you're involved in kink and BDSM, for every one of you, there's 10 other folks at least waiting to fill those shoes. So no dominant ever has to be alone if they do not want to. So that quick refilling of the vacuum means that for a lot of people sitting in your own stew of emotional backwash is not something that they have to do. And since humans are often avoidant to feelings that are difficult, it's oftentimes what happens. And so you know, you've got that sort of rollover effect happening over and over and over and over again, which is Ooh, yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. But yeah. So anyway, my point is this, do what you want to do, but look very carefully and see if the protocols that you have in place are just. Now there's an intrinsic quote unquote unfairness to power exchange relationships, but you can have a thing that doesn't necessarily look fair, like serving someone else, whatever, that's that's fine. Fairness might not be the word that you're using there, but consensuality and justness and justice are words that I feel are critical. Is this just? Is it just that someone is judging you, someone to whom you are hoping to dedicate and pour into your energy and the one resource that they can never give back to you? which is your time. The time that you spend submitting to someone is irreplaceable, right? The time, the emotional effort, the energy and dominance. Here's the thing. If you receive an unearned gift, the value to you of that gift is minimized. And you might not see it now, but you will see it in one, two, three, five years. When you look back and you feel like you just sat there and this gift threw itself at your feet and you had to do nothing to earn it. Yeah, a little bit risky. It's a little dangerous. And after many years involved in the kink, leather and BDSM communities, I've seen the people who are created when they reap the benefits with no effort. I have seen the monsters that lurch from the depths when folks are given gifts with no reciprocity in terms of how those gifts are treated. Now, whatever, whatever your idea of what a gift means, the reality is it's still good and important and just for you to accept that gift graciously and for you to make sure that you are worthy of it. And for you to be worthy of it, you have to do the work, yeah? And if doing the work is something that is repugnant to you, if you're like, but I'm the dominant, I should just be able to sit here as you present yourself to me and you show me why you are worthy of my dominance, that's cool. And submissives, if you see these people and you really think that is the log upon which you want to smash your head open, cool. Some people need to learn experientially. and. I'll still be here. <laughs> I'll still be here to listen and nod and say, you know what? Yeah, I learned those lessons too. 
my hope is that you will do yourself the favor of valuing yourself above all else and knowing that in a power exchange relationship, you, dominant, submissive, owner, property, whoever you are, absolutely are a priceless and valuable aspect of that dynamic. And it's up to everyone involved in the dynamic to make sure that they earn their own self-respect first. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.